Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, and I missed you guys last week. I just needed a week off after having played so much poker for seven weeks, six and a half weeks, whatever it was, that I was in Vegas, and then coming straight home and doing the uh, WSOP wrap-up. Last week, I really just felt like taking a very rare week off. Now, I know some podcast hosts will have sort of, uh, I guess, a backlog or an archive of podcasts that they can just upload one whenever they don't feel like recording a fresh one. I don't really do that. I like to keep you guys very current so you know if you are listening to one of my podcasts the day that it comes out, it was recorded either that day or the day before that. So that's what's going on this week. It's the first week of August. Today is August 4th, 2022, and this podcast will be released within 12 hours of it having been recorded. I'm going to jump around just a little bit today for this episode. I wanted to share one more hand from the housewarming, which was that first tournament this summer at Paris and Bally's. That's uh, the $500 buy-in. They ended up getting like $8 million worth of buy-ins at $500 a pop. Uh, so really big event. And we were discussing it on the last episode two weeks ago. I also wanted to review a few hands that I played in the $30 12.5K guarantee on WSOP.com which is a super turbo that I won. So I wanted to talk about a few hands that I played there, some interesting spots and decisions that I had. But yeah, first, before we do any of that, I want to let you guys know that I'm pretty close to making a fairly big announcement about this podcast and sponsorship. So if there is anyone out there that is still considering becoming a sponsor of this podcast, I recommend you get in touch as soon as possible via Twitter at Clayton Comic because the sponsorship ship shall be sailing soon. All right, so let's talk about one more hand from this very exciting $500 tournament. Um, you had a lot of recreational players, a lot of weekend warrior types, amateur opponents who mostly just can't resist the appeal of possibly winning something like $800,000 for a $500 buy-in. And really, who can blame them? So that's the field is comprised probably about 30% players that fit that description, another 30% that is what I would call um, bad regs or just uh, kind of like break-even professional players. Uh, I mean, I guess if they're breaking even, how professional can they be? But... You know, people that play quite a bit of poker and don't really end up with all that much to show for it at the end of a year or at the end of five years. Um, and then the other 40% would be the uh, you know professional players that are really tough, formidable opponents. So uh, at this table, I had just been moved 
to a new table uh, not that long ago. On my left, there was a Canadian lady in a GG Poker t-shirt. Now, some of you may know exactly who this person is. She was talking about running games and promoting GG. I did not recognize her, but she was a bit of a loose cannon, if you will, at that table. She had three-bet me a couple of times. I've only been at this table for certainly less than an hour, maybe just about 40 minutes or so, and she's already been giving me fits, so I had kind of determined that I should be a little more careful. Now, on her left is another player that has been giving a lot of action, but he struck me as just a little bit on the loose, aggressive, spewy side. You know, there's two different types of loose, aggressive opponents. There are those that really know what they're doing, and their loose aggression is based in theory and proper strategy. And then there are people that just like to raise and re-raise willy-nilly. And I would have put this player in the latter category. So those are my blinds. The action in this hand is going to fold to me on the button. So the uh, blinds are 1,000-2,000 with the 2,000 big blind ante. And we are on the button with Jack of Spades, Nine of Diamonds. And our stack size is 75,000. So we've got 37 and a half big blinds or as I like to say, an M of 15. So with the Jack-9 offsuit action folding to me on the button, I think we have to open. Uh, this hand is too strong to fold, so let's go ahead and raise it up. I know some people, especially a few years ago, were putting hands like this one into their uh, you know, limping range. Like if you wanna have a limping range when it's folded to you on the button, I don't really like that. It doesn't really appeal to me, especially with this stack size, I am not a limper. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly if you're worried about getting three bet and four bet or whatever, it can sort of neutralize that weapon in your opponent's arsenal if you want to limp. But what you have to do in that case to balance your limping range so that it doesn't always look like a medium strength hand such as the exact one we have here, Jack Nine Off, I think in, in that case, you need to also occasionally limp with a really big hand. So because I'm expecting to get action from one or both of the blinds the majority of the time, I don't want to be limping with my strong hands. I want to be raising and getting action and building pots that way rather than limping, having them raise, and then three betting with a hand like pocket aces, pocket kings. That's no good. So. I'd rather just raise and have my hand better disguised because I'm now playing Jack-9 exactly as I would a premium pair. So yeah, we, we make a standard raise here, just a minimum raise to 4,000. Again, the blinds are uh, 1,000, 2,000. So we just make it 4,000 off of a stack of 75K. And the Canadian lady in the GG Poker t-shirt folds and the big blind, the player that I mentioned before that I thought was loose, aggressive, and a little bit on the uh, spewy side, just calls, and he's got a large stack of 150000 Now, at this point in the tournament, the uh, average stack was probably slightly below 100000 with approximately half of the players who had bought in that day now being gone 
from the event, having been eliminated. So we're not doing particularly well, but we are kind of keeping pace with the field, generally speaking. In this tournament, you started with 50,000 chips, by the way. So now there is 11,000 in the middle. And our opponent checks dark, which is always interesting. Uh, the flop comes king of clubs, king of hearts, ten of spades. So king, king, ten, rainbow, hero holding the jack of spades, nine of diamonds. So we have essentially just flopped a gut shot here. Now let's talk about this dark check. Now if you're the type of player that checks dark with any regularity, I mean, I, I don't really see the value of doing it. You might feel like it gives you uh, the advantage of acting last in the hand. But to be fair, guys, you don't really get to act last because if your opponent doesn't bet, then you basically just gave up the right to bet, the option of betting, and there's no guarantee that he's going to bet. So you could end up seeing a turn that you didn't really want to see. Now, in a heads-up situation, our opponent should be checking 100% to us on the flop all the time, every time, no matter what. So it really doesn't hurt him theoretically to check dark, but I really, I'm just not a fan of that particular move. And you mostly see it when you are up against an opponent that would be in a category other than professional poker player. So he checks over to us and we're going to bet now. There's no reason to bet very big. I mean, if I had a king in my hand, or if I had a 10, or if I had pocket queens, or if I had pocket aces, I would make a very small bet because we're trying to get action from a wide range. So a small bet certainly appears to be in order, and we just make it 3,000 into the 11,000 pot. And our loose, aggressive opponent decides to check raise to 8,000, and while he did so, he mumbled something under his breath about me getting punished. Now, you know, we kind of got some tells going on here. We have the dark check, and now we have this table talk. I mean, he mumbled it, but he certainly intended for me to hear it. So if you're sitting there in Clayton's shoes, and you just got check raised by the player that I described, and now he's also talking about punishing me, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Would you read anything into that table talk or into the dark check? Or would you just try to play your best strategy versus this opponent? I mean, certainly it is possible for our opponent to have trip kings or even better. Uh, but if, you know, put yourself in his shoes. If he had a very, very strong hand, would he want to say something like, I'm going to punish you? I mean, if he wants action here, don't you think most players would kind of get quiet and hope that I did something spastic? I mean, I mean, this is an inexact science. And certainly, if your opponent has a lot of talent and a good understanding of poker psychology, he could trick you into giving more action by doing the reverse, right? Obviously, you know, we all know about reverse tells and knowing that I'm going to think what he's going to think. I'm going to think he's going to think. And you can kind of go on and on forever like that. But typically what comes out in the wash is that you don't have to go all that deep against less skilled opponents. My best guess 
is that he's trying to look stronger by making that comment because he doesn't really have that much of a hand. So because of that, and because I don't have much of a hand myself, I decided that calling is absolutely out of the question, and I shrugged my shoulders in a way that I was hoping he would notice. Now I'm playing a role, like a lot of times if you see an amateur player, and I assume this player is mostly in the like $100 daily category at his local card room, wherever he's from. Uh, usually if you see someone kind of shrug and act confused as to what he's doing and then re-raise, that is almost always a monster. And I think he's probably seen that before. So I was essentially trying to mimic that with my behavior. So I pretended that I just didn't know what to do. So, oh, well, I might as well put in 19,000. And I'm hoping that he will incorrectly read that for incredible strength. So he folded rather quickly, and I thought that was one of my favorite hands, especially because I'd been in Vegas about 24 hours at the time that I made this move. So that felt good and gave me hope for the rest of the summer. After that hand, I had much closer to an average stack, and I was well on my way to hopefully making some noise in the housewarming. But as we now know, I end up about 100, 150 players away from the money uh, busting out of the tournament on a brutal bad beat, the first of many that I would end up taking in the month of June 2022. Okay, so let's talk about this $30 rebuy add-on hyper turbo, super turbo, whatever they call it. It's a really, really fast structure. The whole thing takes about four or five hours. Um, yeah, so things were going quite well in this thing. Um, yeah, as we know, I, I ended up winning it, but there were some pretty interesting decisions along the way. By the way, guys, because the World Series of Poker was in progress, this tournament that has a $12,500 guarantee was routinely topping the eighteen, nineteen, even the $20,000 mark uh, throughout the summer. So one thing to keep in mind, if you happen to be in a state where you can play on WSOP.com, uh, keep in mind, like during the World Series of Poker, all of the tournaments are more inflated, particularly, I mean, emphasize this, particularly on those days on which there's also a bracelet event. Very few online players want to just single table. An exception would be a player who's also playing live somewhere so he's playing just on his phone and he can only really do one table because of the uh, many limitations of the awful software that is utilized by WSOP.com but yeah I saw some really large fields and many of them uh, not as skilled as those of us who routinely do play on WSOP.com are used to seeing so yeah keep that in mind so at the time when the average stack in this event was 70000 so obviously well after the uh, rebuy and add-on period and registrations closed a long time ago and stuff like that, I had about 120000 so almost two times the average stack, but I only had 15 big blinds. 
Did I mention this is a super turbo? Yeah, basically in this tournament, especially the way uh, this one played out, no one has any chips ever. So I shove my 15 big blind two times average stack. That means, by the way, the average stack was about eight big blinds. I'm not kidding. Uh, I had pocket tens and I ran into ace king. Lost that flip but had him covered. And then I had 35,000 and the average was 70,000. Just a few hands later, the button open shoved and he was extremely loose aggressive and I just didn't feel like with my six big blinds I could even fold jack 10. So you guys can tell me whether that is a theoretical mistake even versus a loose aggressive opponent who's open shoving on the button which is a play I think he's going to make with approximately 100% of his range. So yeah, I called him with jack 10 and got lucky to win versus ace queen so i doubled right back to an average stack again a little while later got short again called a shove with ace jack and the opponent who shoved had queen 10 and my hand held up this is the hidden luck like a lot of times we can see when we got lucky like we sucked out on somebody or we happened to uh, flop a set when somebody had an overpair, like we see that kind of luck, but just, you know, routinely having your hands hold up when you're not that big of a favorite. I mean, what is ace jack versus queen 10? I mean, it's almost a coin flip. I think I'm 58% in that situation. So yeah, the ace jack won and that kept me in the game. Uh, by that point, I was well above average, but hey, this thing is still a super turbo. So I didn't feel comfortable with my stack at all so i want to talk about one of the very first hands that we played at the final table i had a slightly above average stack of six hundred ten thousand, which again that's only 15 big blinds but it was above average i think at this point in the tournament the average stack was like 575 so i was barely above average with my 610 the blinds were twenty thousand forty thousand with 4,000 ante per player. So on the website, they still do the everybody antes model rather than the uh, big blind ante model. That's important. So you're losing chips every hand. It might affect strategy, especially in a super turbo, hyper turbo, turbo, turbo situation. So in this pot, we're uh, nine handed at the final table and the action goes hijack open shoves for 465 and he was a pretty wild and loose player and then a somewhat reasonable chip leader in the cutoff next to act moves all in over the top for 900,000 effective now he was second in chips at this final table but all of the players to his left at this point are well below that including myself again with 610 so the button folds, and now I'm in the small blind with pocket tens. Do you want to risk your entire tournament on pocket tens? So it really depends on these two opponents. I mean, look, I have 15 big blinds, right? Uh, it's gone shove, shove ahead of me, but both in late position. And the second shove could just be trying to isolate the short stack that shoved first. So I considered all that, I actually time banked on this hand. I think this is a very close decision. 
and I decided to fold. I'd rather have the first in vigorish. Um, you know, many times I'm going to have like some kind of coin flip here, and when I don't, I'm also going to be behind a hand like jacks, queens, kings, or aces some percentage of the time. One or both of these players could actually have tens beat if you think about it, although that is admittedly unlikely. Uh, it turns out my hand was good. The first player had ace five offsuit, and the second player was isolating him. He had ace ten offsuit, so I was actually in great shape versus both of these players, and I would have collected the entire pot had I made the call with tens from the small blind. Now, as I was talking through that, be honest, did you want to throw away your tens, or would you have been able to pull the trigger on that? Situation. I do think it's close. I don't think I could fold jacks there. I don't think I should have folded tens. And not just because I'm now able to see that my hand was good. It's just, you know, let's go back to the facts here. It's a turbo. A super turbo. I mean, the blinds go up, I think, every five minutes in this tournament. You cannot wait for big hands. Uh, when you're playing the main event, if you want to fold tens every single time you have them, you're probably not giving up all that much equity. But when you're playing an online super hyper turbo and you're at the final table and the average stack is 14 big blinds and you happen to have 15 big blinds, I think that it is very important not to pass up on really any close spots. You have to give action in tournaments like this. So I'm not happy with my play here. And I was even less happy when I saw that I would have won this very sizable pot had I played my hand better. And really the only other interesting spot in this tournament that's, you know, podcast worthy or whatever was when the blinds were 50,000 and 100,000 with a 10,000 big blind ante, I had 285,000 in my stack. So my M was less than two. We were down to the final five, and I think I made a pretty easy shove with uh, King of Hearts, Eight of Diamonds. So King Eight, offsuit on the button, folded to me. I think this is a really easy shove. Uh, I happened to get action from both the small blind and the big blind, and they both had me beat the... Well, no, that's not true. The small blind had pocket nines, and the big blind had the five of clubs, four of clubs, and also all the chips. I mean, he was the overwhelming tournament chip leader. He may as well try to uh, mix it up with us, especially because both the small blind and I were pretty short stacked at that point. So it's not really about whether he should call with five, four suited. I think in his shoes, I would actually call with a very wide range. He could totally afford it. It was less than 10% of his stack to possibly bust two of his opponents. But yeah, the uh, I had the small blind slightly covered. And so he was he got it in good with his nines. But I flopped a king and that was that. By the way, the big blind flopped a straight flush draw. And I dodged everything. Which again, whenever you win a tournament, be it live or online, think about all that hidden luck. Like I dodged a ton of outs when the flop came king six deuce with two clubs and my opponent had five four of clubs yeah i mean at that point the nines were in bad shape but he got it in about as good as you can against two opponents now 
My question for you, dear listener, is not do you think I was correct to shove a tiny stack with King 8? We all know that's correct. But what's the worst hand that you would shove in this situation, realizing, by the way, that the, the small blind has a slightly smaller stack than we do, although at this point in the tournament, I was the, sh- the second shortest stack, but right to my left is the shortest stack of all. So how much ICM do you want to weigh here? The prize for fifth place was something like $900, and the prize for fourth place was about $1,300. So we're talking about $400 of real money, which is substantial because, again, it's a $30 buy-in with rebuys and add-ons. I think I was actually in for just one original buy-in, no rebuys, and just the add-on, I believe, because I just ran great from the from the beginning of this one. So what would you do? Would you shove Jack-8, Queen-8, Jack-6? What is the worst hand that you would shove in this situation? I think for me, Queen-5, for some reason, feels about right. I think I would fold Queen-4, shove Queen-5, and anything better than that. But I want to know what you think. And the way to reach me is via Twitter, at Clayton Comic. My DMs are open, but I would love for you guys to tweet about this one. And yeah, I know some of you are going to plug it into a solver or ICMizer or whatever. But no, I want to know what you think before you double check and tell me how far off I am with my Queen 5, by the way. I have not done that type of work on this hand. But I just started thinking about this and pondering that question when I was reviewing this tournament for the purposes of preparing for this week's podcast episode. So yeah, go on Twitter, Clayton Comic. Let me know what is the worst hand you would shove with an M of about 1.5 when the action folded to you and there was a slightly shorter stack to your left. That'll do it for this episode. Once again, guys, if you are considering sponsoring this podcast. Uh, Your time, your window of opportunity will be closing soon. So definitely hit me up about that. And also while we're at it, if you happen to be listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please do me a solid. Give us a five-star rating. It really helps other people discover this podcast, which in turn makes it that much easier for us to continue bringing you this free content on an almost weekly basis. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart
Well, gambling is fun when you're with me. I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it, it's not rough. It isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody.